0: Hello, it's TechBinder Worldwide for the week of July 1st, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Chances are pretty good that you have some money, a computer, a credit card, a bank account, and a bunch of other things. Well, somebody on the Internet wants those, and that somebody is willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get them. Techniques that these creeps use continue to improve. But, you know, there's almost always a clear indication that there is fraud afoot. So this week I thought we'd take a look at some of the examples that I've run across just in the past week. Case number one, the bogus greeting card. We receive greeting cards on birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, other special days. Sometimes we get them for no particular reason at all, those little friendship cards that people send around. Well, people who want to take over your computer have figured that they can fake a greeting card. So you get the fake greeting card scam. It's been around for really quite a long time. But the attempts so far have usually been so pitiful that only a fool would fall for them. The bad news is, they're getting better. On the website, you'll see an example of one that arrived last week. It claimed to come from American Greetings. Now, that's a pretty well-known company in Cleveland. But if you look at the actual address, you see that it claims not to be from AmericanGreetings.com, which is the name provided, but the email address provided is rthq. At Coxinet.net. Well, I don't really think American Greetings would be sending cards from someplace other than their own domain. Now, I've mentioned before that a legitimate greeting card will provide information about exactly who sent the card. I send you a card, it's going to say, Bill Blinn sent you a card. Well, in this case, the subject was... You've received a postcard from a family member. A family member. Okay, now how would the greeting card company know that the person is a family member, first of all? And just saying that someone is a family member isn't exactly identification. So, already the card has two strikes against it. That's before I even open the message itself. All I've seen is the list on my list of inbound messages. Well, I opened the message carefully with an application that would not do anything automatically. And what I found was a link. The link was to greetingcard.gif. Okay, looks like a safe file. It's a GIF. GIFs cannot be... Oh, wait a minute. There's something out there at the far right end. There's a space and a space and a space and a space, 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 dot exe. Oh... Well, all those little spaces in the file name are actually intended to move the real extension to where you won't see it. You'll think that the file is just a harmless GIF, you'll click it, and the executable file will run. If cards don't come to you personally, and the card isn't from a name and an address that you know personally, just discard it. If it claims to be to you by name, and it is from somebody you know, then you have to go a step further. Then you want to examine the from address and determine whether it's actually from a legitimate greeting card company. And before you click the link, good idea to take a look at the destination URL. If anything looks even slightly suspicious, confirm with the person who supposedly sent it. Ask them if they sent you that message. Got another example late in the week, one that tries to look good but ends up giving itself away in all sorts of different ways. The card claimed to be from greetingcards.com, but the return address that was showing was tgrb at dcmindustries.com. Now, I'm sure DCM Industries, assuming it exists, is in no way associated with this spam. The message claimed to be from a family member, no identity, and it contained a number of non-native English phrases. For example... If you wish to keep the e-card longer, you may save it on your computer or take a print. Native English speakers don't say take a print. Now, there were other errors. Probably the largest giveaway here was the link. The link that they were suggesting I go to was an IP address. Real greeting card businesses don't hide behind IP addresses. I have an application that allows me to see what the target domain would be serving up. So, I used that program to follow the link. And I found if you go there, you'll see a message that says, Oh, we're having a problem. We're currently testing a new browser feature. If you're not able to view this card, please click here. What happens if you click here? You run ecard.exe. At the very least, the file is probably going to try to take over your computer, make a zombie of it. And just to have fun, it might also search your computer for personal information, such as account numbers, user IDs, banking information, stuff like that. So it's a good idea to check these things out before you click on the link. And I received more messages this week from our good old friend Canadian Pharmacy. I've written about these folks before. Message from Canadian Pharmacy says summer season is a great time to improve your health. For this reason, Canadian Pharmacy announced huge discounts as a special care for loyal customers. Yeah, native English speaker sure wrote that. Now, where is this Canadian Pharmacy? Uh, Well, the link says door symbol dot HK. Door symbol? HK? That's Hong Kong. How many Canadian pharmacies are really located in Hong Kong? And closely related to the Canadian pharmacy is a new spam, relatively new anyway, from the United States National Medical Association. A message from the group cautions against dealing with fraudulent online pharmacies, and it even helpfully offers a list of such fraudulent operations. The spam explains the dangers of dealing with these unknown operations. Here's the message. Do you buy pharmaceuticals online? The U.S. NMA was specifically established to protect the consumer. Our experts check every online shop for bogus medicines. The blacklist of unreliable or simply fraud shops is updated every week. We strongly recommend you to visit our site before buying any medical products online. They then have a link. The common ways of online cheating are delivery of low-quality fraud products, an enormous delay up to 2-3 months in delivery of products, Shops obtain the credit card's numbers and other credit information, then simply send nothing. Shops sell unlicensed products they know nothing or very little about. Shops themselves don't have a license to sell the pharmaceuticals. Please check our blacklist of unreliable and fraud shops before buying any medical products online. Three exclamation points. Protect your family and yourself. With all due respect and care, the U.S. N.M.A. What happens if you click the link? You go to a website in Hong Kong. And it just happens to be one that offers online drugs. And if you would happen to do a Google search on U.S. NMA or the United States National Medical Association, you'll get, if not an earful, at least an eyeful. So what does the United States National Medical Association have to say about this fraudulent use of their name? Now, wait, 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 wait. Don't get too far ahead of me here. You do that Google search and you're going to find that the United States National Medical Association itself is a fraud. It doesn't exist. Here's one that may not be fraud, but it's sure not straight dealing either. Caveat emptor. Now, I'm old enough to remember when Julius Caesar told me that. The Tempest was fugiting at the time and he had to hurry off for breakfast of hard-boiled eggs with Brutus. And there he at, too. And if you're a Latin teacher, or a student, or you've ever studied Latin, I apologize for that. So if you do an online search for something, you'll probably see at least a few responsible price comparison sites. These are operations that once seemed to be sufficiently ethical that they weeded out the bait-and-switch operations, but sadly, that seems no longer to be the case, at least not with some of them. As an example... I decided to use a product that I'm sufficiently familiar with to know when the price cited is bogus. A Nikon D200 digital camera, current price for the body alone with no lens, about $1,500, fifteen to $1,600. There's a, currently a $100 rebate from Nikon, so depending on whether the rebate is included in the stated price or not, uh, it'll be in the fifteen to $1,600 range. B&H Photo, J&R Electronics, both in New York, have the camera at that price. Here in Columbus, if you look at Cord Camera, they'll have it for about 1700 Take off the uh, $100 rebate from Nikon. There's your $1,600 price. So I went to one of the shopping service pages, and it seems that I could buy from several of the places that they list a $1,500 camera for just $329. Now, margins on cameras are slim. No camera store, not even one as big as B&H, would be able to buy the camera for $329, much less sell it for that. But the problem is, a lot of people seem to think that stores routinely mark up things by 100% or more, and when they think that, they become suckers for this kind of marketing. So let's take a look at the website of one of these merchants. I went to the site, found the camera I was looking for, Nikon D200, $329. The availability is marked as yes. Now, availability yes is not the same as availability in stock. Legitimate merchants will show if something is in stock or out of stock, not just yes. So there's a danger sign. They are also offering a special $200 value kit for free with the camera. Well, there's another danger sign. What's in the kit? Well, you get a lens cleaning kit, value of that's probably about 2 bucks. You get a screen protector, that's for the monitor that's on the back of the camera. Now, what's interesting is Nikon already includes that in the box, so it has no value. It's included with the camera, or should be. And then there's a full-size tripod. Full-size, what do they mean by that? You can buy a full-size tripod, won't hold much of a camera, but you can buy one, for about 10 bucks. Oh, and there's also a digital slave flash, whatever the heck that is. Probably some little no-name strobe with a digital display that they buy for $5 a piece from China. Now, before going any further, I decided to take a look at some of the legitimate camera store sites. So I looked at b Photo, I looked at J&R, and I looked at Cord. In each of those cases, there was a very clear indication of what's included with the the camera. What's in the box when you buy a Nikon D 200 with no lens? What's included in the box? A rechargeable lithium-ion battery, the quick charger for that battery, a USB cable to connect the camera to the computer, a video cable to connect the camera to a TV set, a neck strap, a body cap to cover the front opening on the camera, an eyepiece cap for the back, a rubber eye cup a monitor cover, that's what the other store is including in their $200 value kit, picture project software on CD-ROM, and a one-year Nikon USA limited warranty. Go to J&R, you'll see the same thing. Go to Cord, you'll see the same thing. These are all offered in the package. So then I went back to the bargain store. This is the store that listed nothing as included, and specific wording in the ad says this is the body-only That's an old trick that shady camera stores used to pull on unsuspecting customers. I thought scavenging the entire box had died out in the 70s or 80s, but apparently not. The bargain store will be willing to sell you the battery that Nikon includes in the box. Now, you can buy an extra battery for this camera for about $45. The bargain store wants $180 for it, and you're going to have to get that because it is required with the camera. And if you get the battery, well, you're certainly going to need a charger. Now, that's included, too, at the other stores. The battery charger, they went 200 bucks for that. So there you're already adding another $400. What about the other things? The USB cable, the video cable, the neck strap, the body cap, the eyepiece cap, the DK21 rubber eye cup, the picture-perfect software, the one-year Nikon USA limited warranty. Every single one of those is going to add 15 bucks, or 25 bucks, or $50 or 100 the price and the final price you pay and the final price you pay is going to be substantially more than what you'd pay if you buy from a legitimate seller and that one year u.s warranty there's some fairly good chance you don't get that because it may well be a gray market unit that's intended for use in another country now some of the other legitimate sellers will sell you gray market equipment but they'll tell you up front that it's gray market so what would happen if you decided to call this bargain company and say you really want just the body only because you know, after all, you could go to B&H or you could go somewhere else and buy the rechargeable battery and the charger for 45 bucks a apiece. You think they'll send you the body? Here's the way the conversation would go. You call, you tell them you're interested in the camera. They're going to say, yeah, that's a really great value, isn't it? Let me get your address and your, yeah, how are you going to pay for that. We'll get you your credit card number. So you give them all that stuff. And the sale looks like it's going along just fine. And just about at the end, they say, oh, by the way, you know, you're know you buying this camera. Uh, you're going to want a battery for it, aren't you? And, of course, you have to buy the battery. And, well, you, know, you got the battery. You've got to charge it somehow. You, you you got to buy this charger. They won't let you off the phone until you buy all the, all the pieces. And if you try to stop the sale, there's some chance that they'll charge a credit card anyway. Stories of the Wild West. Sure seems that way, doesn't it? Vista is the most secure Windows ever. At long last, Windows has the equivalent of a Unix root user. Well, more or less. And under Vista, nobody runs as root, the same as on a Linux system or a Unix system. Even if you're running an account that is considered an administrator, you have to invoke supervisor status to do some things. That's good, because it's yet another roadblock to malware, and it's a way to ensure that less competent users aren't able to touch critical components. Sometimes, though, all this security can get in the way, and then it becomes necessary to outsmart the operating system. Here's an example. I prefer the classic start menu to the new start menu. There is the ability to type the first few letters of an application's name and then press enter. That's neat. I was impressed the first time I saw that feature. The first time I saw it was on a Mac. But I don't use the feature on a Mac. In fact, I've cobbled together on the Mac what is essentially a start menu. I much prefer having hierarchical menus so that publishing applications are in one branch, web development tools or somewhere else and so on an application such as Photoshop might be actually located in several branches web development graphics and publishing but that way the application I am most likely to need at any given moment is close at hand in the section where I need it well in Windows XP I could quickly navigate to the start menu in the directory and start dragging folders around the changes would apply to all users if I went to the all users directory or it applied just to my account if I went to my directory. Easy. Well, those directories no longer exist in Vista, at least not there. Vista has a new directory called Users. I expected to find my personal start menu settings in, oh, say, for example, something like C backslash users backslash William Blinn. Well, that's not where they were. Eventually, I used the Advanced Properties option, which is available from the taskbar, to find my start menu. And then I asked the Windows Explorer to tell me where the heck I was. It turned out that I was actually in C colon backslash users backslash William Blinn backslash app data backslash roaming backslash Microsoft backslash Windows backslash start menu. Yeah, I would have been real likely to have found that on my own. And besides that, it's a hidden directory, and there's no indication at all where the all-users directory was. That's the one I really wanted. Well, I knew it had to be somewhere. Computers don't operate by magic. It doesn't just know where the applications are and which ones should be applicable to all users. I knew there had to be a directory. I just couldn't see it. So I told Windows Explorer to show me all hidden files. By itself, that change didn't accomplish what I needed. So next, I told the Windows Explorer to show me the protected operating system files. Either one of those actions alone is insufficient, but to see this directory, both are required. Here's an important note. This can be a dangerous step, even for those who know enough not to change, move, or delete certain important files. But doing that allowed me to see the directory that I knew had to be there the directory for the all users menu on Windows Vista is C colon backslash users backslash all users backslash Microsoft backslash Windows backslash start menu well once I knew that I changed the settings back so that the protected operating system files and hidden files would no longer be visible not even to me and even with the operating system set to hide protected files I can type that location in using the Windows Explorer and navigate to the directory. Well, having done that, I found it was easy to create a shortcut that I can install on any user's individual start menu or on the shared menu. So I created a shortcut, installed it in my utilities directory, one that takes me directly to the all users directory. That's how you work around the operating system sometimes. In nerdly news, we have a laptop computer for $250. And no, it's not some kind of fraudulent loss leader like that camera thing. Intel plans to work with AUSTECH computers. That's a big manufacturer of motherboards. And they will be developing notebook computers that could be sold for around $250. The target market, developing countries. You've probably already heard of the One Laptop Per Child Foundation. That's an organization whose name pretty much describes its mission. Well, for years, Intel has donated laptops to children in developing countries. The new venture plans to make near-regulation-sized notebook computers, unlike those made by the One Laptop Per Child Foundation. But that means that those computers are going to need electricity to operate, and in some parts of the world, electricity is available for only a few hours a day. One-laptop-per-child foundations machines look a lot like toys, but they include a hand crank that can power the device when electricity isn't available. But for either of these organizations, a fair question might be, do those countries need computers, or do they need better medical care, better food, and other basic necessities? The lawsuit that had Netflix and Blockbuster all tied up in court has been settled. Blockbuster announced this week that the suit had been terminated. Netflix wasn't saying anything. Blockbuster, mainly a video rental store, has been moving in on Netflix territory, so Netflix sued, and Blockbuster sued. Blockbuster says it plans not to make any changes to its website or business model as a result of the suit. Shortly after Netflix sued Blockbuster last year, claiming the company had stolen its system for placing movie selections in a queue, Blockbuster countersued, claiming that Netflix's patents were so broad as to be unenforceable. Now, here's something a little disturbing. The Baltimore Sun is reporting that a year after the National Security Agency nearly maxed out its electrical capacity, some offices are experiencing significant power disruptions as the agency confronts the increasingly urgent problem of an infrastructure stretched to its limits. This is the NSA, the National Security Agency, or is that the no such agency? Whichever. Because of these power shortages, the NSA can't use some of its new computer equipment. In some cases, power outages are reported to have shut down NSA offices for more than half the day. If you're willing to cut the NSA some slack because this problem caught them by surprise when they're out there keeping an eye on national security, consider this. The current shortage was predicted nearly 10 years ago. The Sun quoted former NSA analyst Ira Winkler who says the problem is because of mismanagement at very high levels. As for the NSA, nobody would speak to the reporter on record. That's it. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of July 1st, 2007. Have a happy Independence Day. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website www.techbiter.com and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.